Blog Talk Radio. Tonight on Dr. Anonymous Show 177, my guest uh, coming up will be Mohammed Arfin, who is a pre-medical student at Benedictine University in Illinois. He's better known by his Twitter name of Insane Mo. He's contributor to the Pre-Med Hell blog. You can get there by going to premedhell.com. So we'll talk about that and a whole lot more coming up on the Dr. Anonymous show starting right now. Welcome to the show that is passionate about medicine and social media. This is the Dr. Anonymous show live on a Thursday night here on Blog Talk Radio. My name is Mike Savella and I am Dr. Anonymous. That's right, bringing sexy back to family medicine. To find out more information about me, just type Dr. Anonymous in your favorite search engine. I should be the top link over there. You can also go to DrAnonymous.com, which brings you the most recent show schedule. We have some good good shows coming up here in the month of August. Also some blog posts and some TV interviews that I've done with local TV news around here. You can also go to DrAnonymous.net. Shout out to all 251 people who like the show who are fans of the show, however, Facebook does that now. You can also get exclusive behind-the-scenes video of me doing this show. You can also go to DrAnonymous.org. That brings you to the iTunes page where you can download the shows. Also subscribe and also leave a comment over there. I'd appreciate that. You can also listen in real time to this show on your iPhone, BlackBerry, Palm Pre, Droid, whatever your mobile device is. Just direct your mobile browser to blogtalkradio.com slash Dr. Anonymous. Today is Thursday, August 12, 2010. It is 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And temperature here at Dr. Anonymous World Headquarters is still... 80 degrees. Our guest uh, coming up, Student Month continues here on the uh, Dr. Anonymous show. I'll uh, be happy to welcome in a few minutes Mohammed Arfin, who is a pre-medical student at Benedictine University in Illinois. 
You can follow him on Twitter by going to Insane Mo. I'm not kidding. <laughs> He's contributor to the uh, Pre-Med Hell blog. I encourage you to check that out at premedhell.com. He's also the chapter president of his uh, local American Medical Student Association chapter, or AMSA. We'll talk about that as well. We'll talk about how life it is being a college student these days, looking to get to medical school. But first, I do want to thank Blog Talk Radio for featuring the show here again this evening on their front page. For those of you who are new to the show, welcome. I have been a social media hobbyist since 2005, and if you're curious, yes, I am a real physician, a family physician in full-time private practice, meaning I see patients five days a week in the hospital and in my office here in beautiful northeastern Ohio. If you're listening live, you can see my shining face here in the webcam here this evening. If you're in the chat room right now, just go to the top of the chat box and click on the webcam icon, and you can see me doing the show live in front of your eyes. I know, very, very exciting. <laughs> uh, before we go to the break, I do want to give a big shout-out to the people in my chat room. We have Jill of All Trades. We have Liz. We have MD Student 31. We have Ramona. We have Starcross, now that I know how to say that. <laughs> we have Survivor Stephanie. We have two guests. Also in the room, welcome to the guests there. I encourage you to register here at uh, Blog Talk Radio, and you'll be able to chat along and make fun of me during the course of the show like the rest of these people will. <laughs> and if you're out there, you're waiting to get into the chat room. I know Blog Talk Radio here sometimes is a little fussy, a little funny about letting you in here, a uh, little delay, but uh, you can hear the sound of my voice. You'll be able to get into the chat room here. Uh, as soon as you can. So I will, my, I will take my break here. We will have our guest after our little break. You're listening to the Dr. Anonymous Show, a, a proud member of the Family Medicine Education Consortium. You can get there by going to fmec.net. I'll be presenting there in October in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Very excited about that. Also a uh, member of the Better Health Network. You can get there by going to getbetterhealth.com. And also a member of the ProMed Network of Podcasts. Yes, we can. The ProMed Network of Podcasts. You can find them on the Roku box now. Very exciting. If you can find out more information over there at promednetwork.com. And we'll be right back. Yes, that's right. Lowering your blood pressure one point at a time. This is the Dr. Anonymous Show, live on Blog Talk Radio on a Thursday night. On the line we have with us uh, right now, my good friend, uh, Mohammed Arfin, who was also known 
and I will be calling you this during the course of the interview. <laughs> Insane Mo is on the line. Thank you for joining us here this evening, sir. Hey, thanks for having me on, and uh, congratulations on your three-year anniversary, and I think you're coming up on show 200, too. That's right. That's right. It's coming up at the at the end of the month. So uh, thank you for uh, for recognizing that. So, but uh, thank you for taking the time here uh, this evening. I know uh, uh, you've been uh, traveling in the past uh, couple of weeks. So uh, have you settled back into things uh, when you've gotten back? Um, yeah, it's just been that like you know the hectic rush of things you have to do when you get back from disappearing for two weeks. So. Trying to answer all those unread emails and just meet with all those people that you have to meet with that you're supposed to meet with before school started and all that stuff. So you know how it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about some of your projects. The uh, PreMed Hell blog, PreMedHell.com, and we'll also talk about uh, your involvement uh, with AMSA. But uh, uh, my first question for you here is, uh, you know, you are. Uh, a college student, uh, enjoy medicine and social media, and uh, so so. Why do you love social media and medicine? Why is it so cool for you to take part in this? Um, so, firstly, I want to mention that blog post you you linked in your pre-show for uh, tonight, and so I want to be scaling back a lot of my social media. Um, involvement and whatnot as the school year begins in the next couple of weeks until probably early February when I get done with my MCATs. But the reason I've always really loved medicine and social media has been that I've always loved computers and machines since I was a little kid. I was always that kid that was taking apart his toys and, you know, just I was the kid who was breaking things to just see how they worked and whatnot. And I took apart an air conditioner when I was like five years old because I was bored. My parents were sleeping and they bought a new air conditioner and sitting on the ground and I walk up to it with a little screwdriver and I just start taking it apart. And at that age, I didn't know that if you take something apart, you better know how to put it back together. So that was not a good day for me. But um, after like in elementary school, during the second grade, I joined uh, the computer club in our elementary school and I made my first Hello World webpage. It's pretty clear that I love technology and more specifically the internet. And as I grew, I just learned more and more. And I took a couple of engineering classes in high school and started because of my love of machines. And then I realized that the human body is by far one of the greatest machines on earth. Just the random things it can do is just absurd. So around junior year of high school, that's when I started this whole love affair with biology and medicine and social media. That kind of, it's always been there since a very young age, whether it was Zanga or Hi5 or Bebo or Friendster. I mean, it's all been there. So, I mean, I can't remember a time. I can barely remember times without a computer. Okay, it would be a lie to say I can't remember a time without a computer, but we didn't get our first computer until I was in like third or fourth grade. So. I can't remember times before the internet, but now we're going to see a generation of people that can't remember a time without the internet. They've never actually, I've actually opened up the world book encyclopedias to do research before, but yeah. <laughs> do you, uh, do you remember what your first computer was? It was a HP pavilion with a 9.6 gigabyte hard drive and 256 megabytes of RAM and a Pentium 2 processor. I don't remember the exact model number, but I remember it was a plunky, clunky thing with a 15-inch CRT that was about as big as my current 
computer. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I remember. So, were, that. were you still yeah. using the uh, uh, five and a quarter inch floppy floppy disks, or the the three and a half uh, little little disks there? Uh, so, we actually splurged on that computer. It had a iOmega zip drive, a hundred uh, MB. Ooh. Yeah, no. Pretty proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so you made a Hello World page. Uh, so, so did you start to get into a little bit of programming uh, back then? Did you learn like uh, I don't know what the language is, our basic or whatever? Did you, did you get into any of that? Uh, yeah, when, when I, I was up? pretty. In, I was pretty into HTML and PHP and CSS. I mean, I got really into those in high school. So, I made full-fledged websites in high school. As with a couple other kids, we made up whole network of like gaming related websites like Lord of the Rings, the RTS and Eve Online and the Star Wars RTS. We had run all these like forum things. So I got really into like the PHP, CSS, HTML and like web related programming. But I've let that lapse in the past couple of years. I mean I could probably pick up where I left off, but I haven't really actively pursued any of that for about three years now. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's talk talk a little bit about the kind of the medicine angle. Um, our uh, you know life growing up. I mean, are, are there members of your family who were in medicine, or or what kind of influences, or who influenced you, or what situations influenced you to uh, uh, to shift your interest towards medicine to to seek you know looking or considering even going to medical school. Um. So both of my parents are doctors to start off with. My dad's a pediatrician. My mom's an anesthesiologist. So I was born in Pakistan. I was about eight months old. My family moved to Oman, which is a really small Middle Eastern country. And they both worked for the Ministry of Health over there, which is, was a pretty great job because they pay for your house and they pay for your vacation trips and everything over there. So what you make, you make. But they don't really have an education system. So when I was around in the first grade, my parents decided to move to America. And so we moved to the suburbs of the great city of Cleveland. And we, we were there for about four years, so I was in the sixth grade. And my mom finished her residency in anesthesiology. So we moved to Chicago after that, where I've been for the past 10 years or so. And um, my parents have been pretty open and pretty supportive about whatever we've wanted to do, myself and my siblings. Um, I mean, my dad sort of wanted me to go into some sort of business type uh, venture because I've always had that natural, I've had like a knack for businessy things since a pretty young age. And he wanted me to do something like that. But his policy and my mom's policy has always been, it doesn't really matter what you do, just be the best at it. And he used to say, I came home one day after finding out that the fifth richest man in the world at that time was the CEO of Waste Management, and somebody put it as the fifth richest man in the world as a garbage man. So I came home and I told my parents, uh, it's pretty young, it's like fourth grade or something, I'm like, I'm going to be a garbage man, the fifth richest man in the world is a garbage man. And my dad's like, if you be the garbage man, you better be that garbage man. So, <laughs> that's, that's funny. Always been, the family policy is do whatever you want, but make sure you're the best at it. Right, right. Huh. Okay. Okay. Um, so, how about like through uh, through grade school and medical school? Uh, no, grade school, medical school. Uh, grade school and high school. Um, uh, 
did you volunteer for medical uh, type of experiences, or were you involved in to, to trying to get to see? I mean, I know that your parents were were, were physicians, but uh, did you yourself kind of seek out any type of um, medical or shadowing type experiences when you were in high school? Um, so in grade school, I was pretty adamant I wasn't going. Well, I wasn't adamant that I wasn't going to become a doctor, but medicine wasn't really an interest of mine per se. Like I was really into computers and that kind of stuff. So I never really think about, thought about medicine at all. Uh, and then middle school came around, and that's, you know, the rebellious teenager years of your life. And that was when I was pretty adamant. I'm like, I'm not going to be a doctor. I want to be anything else. Uh, there's a period of time where I said I was going to be a lawyer just to play around with my parents because that's like the one thing my dad was like, don't be a lawyer. Whatever you do, don't be a lawyer. And I would say that I wanted to be a lawyer for that period of time. And come high school, I was pretty uh, I was set between engineering or architecture at that point. And then it came time to apply to college, and I didn't do any volunteering and medical-related things or anything in high school. Um, just the random, like, free clinics and stuff my parents would occasionally drag me to. Cause they're part of the local, like, physicians association for our little city here, and uh, they have free clinics and stuff around. So my parents would occasionally drag me to work, like, reception and check-in at those things, and I'd do that. But other than that, I never actively sought out medicine or tried to get into medicine, and... Um, when it came time to apply to college, I applied to a couple architecture programs, and then I applied just generally around. And then I'd started, by this time, I'd started liking biology and biochem, and bio was something I was seriously looking at. And then that's around when the real estate economy decided to tank, and the architecture jobs pretty much dried up. So I'm like, you know what? Architecture, as much as I like it, it's more of a hobby. It's something I see as fun, not as something I can see myself doing for the rest of my life. So I decided to become a biochem major, and I did that. And about one semester in, it really hit me that whatever, despite whatever I was thinking, I'm going to be a doctor. Um, there's That's the one thing. Like I couldn't think of anything else to do. I'm like, research, I like it, it's fun. But right now, I am an undergrad researcher, so I get my hands on time and whatever. I could see the PIs and the professors I was working under, what they were doing is paperwork, filling out grant applications day in and day out. And that's something I really didn't want to, I couldn't see myself doing that. And I'm like, you know what? It's not that bad. I like it. And, you know, the love affair just started growing from there. And I uh, started volunteering at a local hospital and um, local ER and just, getting more involved with research and reading up more, and that's when it took off, and now I can't really think of why I would want to be anything else. Do you remember any of those uh, experiences here uh, as far as volunteering in the ER or volunteering in the hospital, any kind of, you know, of course, I don't want you to break any kind of privacy things, but, I mean, you know, is there is there certain certain uh, um, experiences or, or instances that, that really hit you, that really solidified it, saying, hey, you know, I really want to take care of patients. Um, so, yeah, I had a couple pretty major experiences in my volunteering and uh, shadowing um, experiences. Uh, probably the one that struck me the most and the one I remember the most would be the first death I witnessed. And it was kind of different in that I was volunteering in the emergency room, and I usually volunteer... Like, at that time, I was usually volunteering Saturday mornings because I had a pretty hectic schedule, and that was the only time I had free. And most Saturday mornings in an emergency room are relatively slow. I mean, the emergency room I volunteer at is a trauma one, so 
it's a pretty big trauma center for the greater Chicago area. And I, it was, it's Saturday morning, still pretty slow. And, uh, a patient came in and, uh, the whole ER was pretty empty. So the docs kind of let me stand in the room and observe. And he went into uh, full arrest and sort of, you know, went on. So that was kind of, uh, that was probably one of the more eye-opening experiences I've had, and then I've thought, you know, and then I noticed how after that event, the doctors kind of just moved on, went on treating the rest of the patients and stuff, and I came to realize that, yeah, stuff happens, things happen, people move on, and the greatest memorial, I guess, you can give is just moving on and helping others and trying to save others, so that's really what hit me. I'm like, you know, it's, it's like, it struck me as a profession that I mean, the outcome of life is death. And the thing that I see, like physicians try to stop death. And the outcome of life is death. So out of all professions, they're batting a 100% failure rate. All of your patients are going to die at some point. It may not be while they're under your care, but they're going to die. And it struck me as a profession that understood that and understood that there can be adverse outcomes, but there's still a greater picture and there's still... um, ways to move forward and whatnot. That was a pretty that's, a, that's really interesting, that observation that you made that, uh, you know, 100% uh, <laughs> we're bound to fail. Uh, most, you know, all of our patients, uh, you know, die and pass away. And um, I'm just kind of curious your thought process there. It's like, well, you know, you know that going in. Um, so why would you want to be a part of a process or part of a profession um, where we – um, as you're saying, we all of us ultimately fail. Yeah, so like I mentioned earlier, it was one of those things that struck me as being a profession that despite being faced with you know, certain death, um, quite literally, um, it's still a profession that, aren't, that tries to, um, they pretty much stare death in the face every single day and blink. I mean, you're not going to blink, like, except you have that one time where you beat death. And I think that's really the moments that um, that really matter. Uh, I remember speaking with one of the doctors in the ER shortly after that, and I was talking to him, and I asked him the question, would you do it again? Um, would you go back to medical school? Would you do your residency? Would you do this? Would you have this whole experience again? And he said, I wouldn't do it again, but I wouldn't not do it once. So that really has when I heard him say that, I was like, you know what, this, this is a profession for me. And I can understand that they've went through some adverse, like they, I, medical school is not easy by any means or any stretch of the imagination. And the process to becoming a doctor and attending isn't easy at all. And the fact that these people go through all of this and then they can still come in and do their jobs and help people. And at the end of the day, the doctors have that unique satisfaction. If I mean, if they even save, like, one patient and they go home, um, they still have the satisfaction of knowing that they've changed one person's life. And at the end of the day, um, there's an old idiom that says saving one person is like saving all of humanity. So at the end of the day, um, not many professions give you that satisfaction. Uh, if you're just joining us, our guest on the line here uh, is uh, Mohammed Arfin. He uh a pre-medical student in Illinois, and he's known by the Twitter name InsaneMo. 
Um, and uh, let me ask you a little bit more about uh, your college life uh, here and now. And you talked a little bit about your uh, research, and I'm probably going to be uh, diving into something I know nothing about, but uh, um, I'm always curious on uh, you know people's uh, research projects and, and what they're involved uh, with uh, now. Uh, can, you, can you tell me a little bit about uh, uh, maybe you know, maybe one or two of the, the research projects that uh, you are or were um, involved with? Yeah, so currently I'm actively uh, involved with two research projects. Um, one of them is in uh, physical chemistry, and the other one is in biophysics. Um, so the first project is, uh, it involves the DPV absorption in supercritical water, which is really hot water under a lot of pressure. Um, supercritical water, for those who don't know, is um, when you heat water and you put it under a lot of pressure, you reach a state that's called supercritical water. So you have your standard solid, liquid, gas, and plasma states. And supercritical water is a state where water is indistinguishable between a liquid and a gas. You can't tell if it's liquid or gas in that state. And that usually happens under pretty high pressures and temperatures. So on the standard phase chart, if you've ever seen it, it's that line right between water and gas, water vapor. Um, so supercritical water behaves a little differently um, when you pass it through a deep UV spectroscope and um, you pass UV rays through it. It absorbs, absorbs UV light slightly differently than um, standard water would. So we're um, used, well, focusing on the deep UV spectrum, which is well below the uh, standard ultraviolet spectrum emitted by the sun. So we use a synchrotron machine, which accelerates um, it's a machine that will accelerate an electron, um, and it refracts light off the electron. Um, it there's a range uh, called synchrotron radiation, and the visible spectrum falls into it, but it actually goes into deep X-rays. It goes all the way from deep UV rays to deep X-rays, so it's a decent-sized chunk of the radiation spectrum, and we refract off the deep UV radiation, and we pass it through um, supercritical water samples and analyze its uh, absorb absorptive properties. And supercritical water is really useful in the sense that it's used for a lot of cooling nuclear reactors and whatnot, but it can also be used for disposal of toxic wastes. Um, pretty much anything you put inside supercritical water, uh, even organic compounds, will dissolve into um, a basic salt, an elemental salt, and just water. So it's really good at destroying really harsh chemicals. So it has really good disposal um, usage. And the other project I'm involved with is in um, biophysics. And the professor I'm doing it under does some work with the AAMC. And uh, for medical students, if you're, any of your professors has given you a model of penicillin absorption through the uh, AAMC MedEd portal, um, he put that up there, Peter Nelson. Um, and the project I'm working on with him, um, there's really two. One of them's coming to an end and one of them's beginning. The one we're finishing up is uh, working on a model of how sweat cools the human body and how the evaporation of sweat off the human skin and how it cools it down. And the other one would be uh, that we're going to be starting come um, in a few weeks in September will be uh, ion channel modeling and we'll be modeling um, the ion channels in the brain and in neural transport, and which is really cool because currently people suspect that there's three states. There's a 
intermediary state. Um, there's there's starting, there's intermediate, and uh, it's like a hill. So you, at the bottom of the hill, you get to the top of the hill, and there's the bottom of the hill. But um, from what we've been looking at computer simulations and stuff from supercomputers, we're seeing that like all the simulations seem to suggest that there's two states, that there's the top of the hill and there's the bottom of the hill, and so, as opposed to the three-state model that there is currently. So we're going to play around with simulations and stuff and try to see what we can make out of it. Wow. <laughs> that is, uh, um, I mean, I, I always enjoy hearing about when, when people are, you know, very interested, you know, about their, you know, about what they're involved with. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to grasp some of the things that, that you're talking about. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's fascinating work. And I'm glad people are doing work like that. Um, so, so I, I'm glad you're able to share that with us. Uh, let me let me ask you this. Uh, so, how uh, uh, so how close are you to to finishing your your undergrad degree, and uh, um, what kind of what, what classes do you have coming up um, for this next uh, semester coming up? Have you started your semester yet? Uh, uh, I'll be starting my semester on the 30th. Yeah. So um, I'm starting my junior year um, time-wise. Um, if you were to go by credits and talking about the AP credits that came in and the random classes I always end up taking for no reason, um, by credits I'm probably a super senior. But yeah, time-wise, uh, I'll be beginning my third year um, in the next couple of weeks. Um, so I have two years left. Um, I'll be applying for medical school next summer. So if there's any medical school people listening, this guy could use an acceptance. <laughs> but um, next semester I'll be taking uh, 300 level cell bio, um, 300 level biochem, biochem floor, biochemistry, and molecular biology majors, um, human physiology, um, uh, protein lab, which is um, it's we have a series of labs, so we have recombinant DNA lab, then protein lab, and then uh, cell biology for biochem molecular biology majors. And it's a three-lab sequence for BMB majors. Um, BMB stands for biochemistry and molecular biology. Um, uh, what this lab series is is essentially the first semester you use recombinant DNA technology to create um, to alter a gene, so to speak. Um, and then in protein lab, you try to express a specific protein from that gene you've altered. And, and then in cell lab, you try to, um, I don't know, I'm not exactly sure what you do in cell lab because I won't be taking that for another semester. But somebody vaguely put it as you try to make a series of steps that shouldn't work work and then make a poster on it and go present it at the local student symposium. So I'm not exactly sure what they do in there, but Apparently, they're fighting a losing battle since they end up having to get and write no results most of the time. Um, but what else am I taking? I'll be taking a humanities class that's part of the core requirement. Um, and then my student research will also be counting as a credit. And I will be a teacher's assistant for organic chemistry for majors lab, which will be another credit or so. Um, other than that, I can't really think of what else I'm taking. I may, may, I may or may not be taking something else. <laughs> That's a, it sounds like a, a pretty busy schedule already. Um, if you're if you're just joining us, uh, this is the Dr. Anonymous show live on uh, Blog Talk Radio. Um, our guest on the line here is uh, Insane Mo from uh, Twitter, Mohammed Arfin. 
Let me uh, shift gears here a little bit. Let me ask you a little bit about it. I know we talked a little bit about kind of in your uh, your uh, pre-show interview type of thing, and we talked about the uh, um, American Medical Students Association, AMSA, and uh, you're the uh, chapter president there for your, for your uh, school there. Um, so for people who don't know uh, what AMSA is, um, how would you describe what, what it is um, and what your role is with that? So AMSA is a, organ- it's a national organization for medical students and pre-meds. And um, medical students, it covers both allopathic and osteopathic students, even though osteopathic students have a SOMA, I believe, but AMSA doesn't, um, um, they don't differentiate between allopathic and osteopathic students in that sense. They actively represent both. Um, the, the medical student regional director for our region here is a DO student, so um, they pretty much state their mission as uh, contributing to the welfare of pre-med students, med students, interns, residents, and post-MD and DO trainees, along with advancing the future of medicine. So they're actively involved with um, reforming medical education, um, involving members in their like social and social issues that are. Um, underlie the profession of medicine and helping to improve just world health problems and the whole medical experience for students and everything. So I'm a chapter president for the Benedictine chapter here. Um, so every chartered chapter of AMSA has a chapter president and then that chapter president specifically reports up. If it's a pre-med chapter or a medical school chapter, um, there's a difference. So the pre-med chapter presidents, such as I, um, we report to the pre-med regional director, while the medical school chapter presidents report to the regional director. So the regional directors are medical students. The pre-med regional directors are pre-meds. And the difference is the pre-med regional directors report to a pre-med trustee that sits on the board, the National AMSA Board of Trustees, while the um, the regional directors that are med students, um, they report to the vice president of membership. So um, there's really like two channels in AMSA. You have the med school channel and the pre-med channel. So I'm still in the med school side. Um, so what my responsibilities mainly as an AMSA chapter president were like helping to organize events at school, um, convincing my members, we like calling it scamming our members, but um, pretty much we like to get our members to sign up for National AMSA because we love it when National AMSA sends us a nice little email saying, hey, you guys had 85 people register last semester, good job. So we like getting those emails. Um, we throw an annual 5K, and I was the volunteer director last last year. So we, so myself and my partner started the first inaugural 5K. So now um, we plan for our chapter. That's going to be a big thing going forward. Is this huge 5K that we throw every year? Um, other than that, uh, AMSA conferences are always really fun. Uh, they're great events. Um, uh, Somebody once put it as AMSA students know how to study hard, and hence they know how to party hard. So um, the conferences are always really fun. Last year it was Anaheim. Next this year it's DC. So it's a great group of people to be involved with. You're getting some uh, AMSA love from a couple of people in our chat room. Uh, San Diego Navy Doc uh, says he's a chapter advisor at uh, UCSD, and uh, Jill of all trades is. Uh, 
also given some AMSA love. Um, uh, let me ask you this. Um, so, uh, so why was it important you to to get involved with you know, not only AMSA but you know leadership um, in general, um, you know, as a college student? Um, hmm, interesting question. Why was it important for me to get involved with AMSA and more specifically leadership as a college student? AMSA has always been like once, like when I started school, my first semester, um, I be I was a member of AMSA my very first semester. Um, a good friend of mine at that time was the volunteer coordinator. Um, this would be two years ago, and he sort of roped me in. He's like, "Dude, there's this awesome club, AMSA. They have free pizza. Come to the meetings." So I'm like, sweet, free pizza, college student, you know, who's, which college student's going to turn down an offer for free food? So I go to the meeting, it's free food, and they had a speaker come in and talk about uh, medical school admissions. And I was thinking, you know, some random old ball guy standing in front of the classroom talking about medical school admissions. And I'd come in a little late, so I had no idea. And at the end, he had a slide with his email. And under his email, it said, Director of Admissions, Dr. Blank Blank, Blank Medical School. And I'm just sitting there going like, oh, crap. This is the guy who makes the calls. He's the top guy. And I'm like, wow, this organization can actually pull in some pretty big people. And that began. And then I was a pretty active member. I'd come to meetings and stuff. And um, it was a really fun just group of people to be around that first year I was involved with. And I didn't go to any regional or national stuff that year. Um, and at the end of the year, they had elections, and I didn't run for anything. I'm figuring I was already involved with another club on campus, uh, the American Chemical Society, uh, Society of Physics Students. And um, I was figuring I was pretty heavily involved with that club, but I wasn't in an officer role. So um, I'm like, you know, I, I wasn't getting that whole leadership vibe at that time. I was just like, you know, I was content being a member. Um, and then the person that was elected for volunteer coordinator for that next semester ended up deciding to transfer. So they were left with a big hole and my friend that had previously been volunteer coordinator was now the president came to me and was like, well, we have an opening for volunteer coordinator and we'd like to offer it to you. And if you'd like it, um, it's up. And I'm like, oh, I'd love it. And at the same time, people started raising a stink. So they're like, okay, we'll have an election. So we had an election. Everyone gave their one-minute spiel, and I ended up winning the election and getting elected to volunteer coordinator. So that was uh, overall last year was really fun. Um, my partner was a professional BMX rider who's a medical student now. Uh, he'll be starting in the next couple of weeks as well. And we had a ton of great times going around, getting sponsors, organizing a huge 5K that had a great turnout, um, raising yeah, $5,000 for a local organization. Um, we just had a ton of great experiences. Uh, and I'm like, you know what? This was a really great year. Uh, I was kind of daunted by that whole leadership task, but um, it grew on me. And I figured, you know what? It's not that bad. Um, it's kind of like... Um, building something and I wanted to be a part of that and then the end of the year came and our chapter president became elected as the pre-med regional director so we have that hold there and all our board members were graduating except for the one that became the pre-med regional director and he obviously couldn't be chapter president because that would cause conflict of interest so 
I'm sitting there thinking, and everyone's like, oh, you should run for chapter president, you should run for chapter president. I'm like, yeah, I could, but none of my board members are going to be back. I'm like, I'll be running a completely new board. So I ran for chapter president, and I don't. I think it was. I like to think that uh, it was the fear I instilled in the hearts of our members. No one ran against me, so I won. <laughs> chapter president. We had a we had a decent amount of competition for all the other positions, like three, four, or five people running for some of the other positions. But like you know, people are just too scared to run against me. So now I am the chapter president for our small chapter, humble little chapter, and. Uh, we're hoping to take a, our chapter to great places um, next semester and onwards next year. Um, hopefully, it'll be a good experience for everyone. Um, on the line with us, uh, we have uh, right now, uh, uh, this is the Dr. Anonymous show live on uh, Blog Talk Radio on a uh, Thursday night. Um, on the line we have with us right now, we have uh, Insane Mo from uh, Twitter, Mohammed uh, Arfin. Let me uh, switch gears here a little bit. Let's uh, let's. Talk a little bit a little about your uh, social media life and uh, kind of uh, how that started. Uh, do you remember your first experiences with uh, social media, where uh, whether it be blog or was it Twitter, was it Facebook, other something um, that started you off with social media? Does Bebo and Friendster count as social media? This is, what, 10 years ago now? 10, 11 years ago, Bebo, Friendster, High Five. Yeah, uh, you know those crazies. That that was my first experience with social media. Um, mm-hmm. My username back then was Mage. Uh, coming off my uh, obsession with RPGs, um, which I have not played for almost eight years now. I'm pretty proud of it. Um, but yeah, um, Bebo, Friendster, High Five was into that. Uh, got into Zanga a bit. Um, I'm not sharing my Zenga username because I think it's still active somewhere. And <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. After, after I destroy it, I'll be willing to share it. But um, we went we went through the Zenga era. What came after Zenga? So we had the MySpace era after Zenga. I never got into MySpace. I never had an account at all. Um, I just didn't like the concept, so I stuck around with my Zenga, and that was really when. Um, I made the jump into blogging. So I used to have a blog um, on WordPress.com. Uh, no, not WordPress.com. Live Journal. I was thinking Live Journal. I had a blog there for a while, um, and that would just be random stuff. And that was the MySpace era is still going on in the social media track at this point, and I'm in Live Journaling. So after that, I shut down Live Journal, close it, get rid of it, make it disappear. And I switched to WordPress.com. And I had WordPress.com. I had one blog for about a month or so. When I'm like, you know what? WordPress.com doesn't give me enough control. I need to do all this stuff, like plugins and whatnot. So I bought, I got some hosting. I set up a blog. Yeah, I do that.com. That's what my first blog was. Uh, I had the domain for a while. I let it expire. I'll probably pick it up again because I just really like that domain. But I had my own private WordPress blog running for a while, and then I jumped to my current blog. When would that be? That'd be sometime last in the last couple of years, and this and that's also when I jumped onto Facebook and Twitter. Um, I have my 
So the current Twitter account I use, I have Insane Mo. But before that, I have a Twitter account that goes back to 07 when Twitter started. I think that's either Muhammad or Muhammad Arfin, one of the two. Because I have like a bunch of Twitter accounts randomly that I've been trying <laughs> way to merge. Because I'd ideally like to switch to twitter.com slash Muhammad because that's just easy and that works. Right. But right. there's no way to merge everything. So once Twitter creates a way for me to merge everything together, I'll switch over there. But for now, I'm content with Insane Mo. And we have Facebook and we have my Facebook, we have my Twitter, and we have my blog. And I'm sort of, I'm off of Zynga now, off of all the other Friendster, Bebo, High Five, Webshots, all that stuff. So tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about the, the uh, pre-med hell blog, uh, premedhell.com. How did that come about, and uh, how did that start? So let's go back in time here. Let's go back to December of last year, November of last year. Um, November is sort of the downtime, I would say, for most college students. Like it's before finals after midterms, but it's too early to start studying for finals, and you don't really have anything, so it's that little low you get. And so I was out with a couple friends, and it's pretty late, and we're eating pizza, and it's a fun night, um, and we're talking, and my friend's like, dude, you should start a blog about random pre-med stuff. And I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. I'm never going to do that. That sounds like a stupid idea. Who would do that? And um, a week later, we're back, same pizza place, and we're talking, and he's like, dude, I got a name for it. You should call it premedhell.com. And I'm like, whatever, just to amuse him, I bought premedhell.com. And I'm like, you know what, I'll seriously think about it. And around that time was when most of my friends started asking me um, questions about... um, shadowing because I had had a decent amount of success finding doctors to shadow so if you go back in time and you look at the first couple of posts there's a series of four posts on shadowing those are the first posts and that was mainly because I got sick of my friends asking me about shadowing so I'm like you know what I'm just going to write it all down put it up there and if they ever ask me a question I'm just going to point them straight there so I did that and then I ended up getting people actually reading it and sending me emails and stuff and I'm like you know what Fine, fine. If you're going to keep asking, uh, like, all the major questions I'd get, I'd write a blog post for them. Like, what books should I read? Blog post, done. What should I do in this? Blog post, done. What should be my major? Blog post, done. And I kept doing that, and then eventually it is what it is now. So, um, yeah. And and I see that you have uh, some other contributors uh, to the blog. Uh, Did you know them, or did you just know them when they sent you uh, uh, blog posts or information, or how did you get other people involved with this? So um, good friend uh, Kelly Sutton, uh, who started the site HackCollege.com, he ran a post about things to do in the summer, and one of them was start a blog. And one of the examples he gave was our blog, premedhell.com. So I started saying, um, okay, um, interesting, and then the comments started coming in on that post, and somebody's like, oh, yeah, I'm a pre-med student, and I'm thinking about starting a blog, and I'm like, and I comment on that, and I go, or Kelly commented on it and said, you should check out Pre-Med Hell, and they replied and said, oh, my God, I love that blog, and 
I replied, how would you like to write for us? Send me an email. So they sent me, John sent me an email, and he's began writing. So he's been a good contributor for the past couple of weeks, and he's a or past couple of months. Sorry, uh, he's been he's applying right now um, to medical school. So it's a plug for John. If there's any of you medical school people, except John, he's a good kid. I'll vouch for him. Um, <laughs> so that's how he came on board, and Brian was a bit different. And I was I'd been reading Brian's blog for a while. Um, and I'd just been having random discussions with him and his comments, and eventually discussions came out to, like, uh, instant messaging, and I just randomly asked Brian, I'm like, dude, do you want to write for us? You write about pretty much the same thing, and he's like, oh, yeah, I'd love to do it, so he started contributing, so that's how we got our two contributors. And uh, I think when I first started uh, following you is uh, when you were doing your live um, Ustream, live video sessions on Ustream.tv. Uh, um, how did that idea come out, and, and how long have you been um, you know, doing those type of sessions? Um, I started Ustreaming probably, I'd like to say May of this year. Um, and that was just completely random. Um, I read something about Ustream somewhere, and I played around with it. And I'm like, you know what? People like asking questions. I will do this Ustream thing. If they have questions, they can ask me. And it's much easier for me to just um, respond in a video format live as opposed to typing out an email. It's just considerably easier. lowers my workload. So I started doing those Ustream things. and. What I didn't realize is they take an incredibly large amount of time really, really fast. Um, so eventually I had to cut down my, I started cutting down my Ustream later in the summer. And now I'm going to be, I don't think I'll be doing any more Ustreams till February. Um, so I can focus more on my MCAT and getting that kind of stuff out of the way. Um, yeah, let's uh, yeah let's talk about that a little bit because um, I, I I read your the post on your personal uh, blog there that you're going to be scaling back things here a little bit. Is that uh, uh, because of your uh, your course schedule, your work schedule, or um, you know just taking more of your time when your uh, academic year starts? Um, yeah, in addition to the fact that I have a pretty intense course load coming up. Um, my extracurricular load's still pretty decent, so um, I have a decent amount of volunteering and shadowing and uh, research, not to mention uh, that, yeah, research and uh, AMSA stuff coming up to the point where it's like, you know, something's got to give. Um, and I pretty much sat down and took a piece of paper and just started writing down things that I do during a regular week. So whatever, watch TV, this, that, that. And at the end of the day, I'm like, you know what? Facebook, Twitter, this whole social media business is taking a really large chunk of time. And I really think I can scale back a lot of it. And it's for a, multiple, it's for a couple of reasons. So um, one of the things I hear a lot of people saying all the time is, oh, yeah, everyone underestimates social media. People don't understand the power of social media. That is true. A lot of people underestimate social media. Um, I think you can put it in three groups. You have the people that underestimate social media. You have the people that um, understand social media and that use it. And then you have 
that small group of people, and those are the peop- group of people that really get on my nerve really fast, and those are the people that overestimate social media. I think it is very possible to overestimate it. So part, part of the time that I'm going to be saving by cutting down on, like, scaling back on my social media, I'm, I mentioned this to Aaron, uh, is I'm going to be going after the handshakes and the smiles instead of the at replies. I think a handshake and a smile can do a lot more for you than an at reply. Um, for every one person I know that's gotten something, research, internship, whatever, through social media, I can think of five or six people that have gotten um, that with a handshake and a smile. So um, I want to focus more on actual networking, so scaling back a bit on social media and getting out to more of these networking events, talking to people, shaking hands, um, and just, um, like, um, building more personal connections talking uh, to admissions reps and everything, and just building more of a personal connection as opposed to uh, the thing that uh, Twitter and Facebook, and we saw this recently, I hate to bring up this incident, I, it's, it highlighted everything that was wrong with social media in my mind, but the recent incident with Aaron and um, the impersonator on Twitter that was mocking her and everything is, um, there's uh, before it, it, before you go into that, that maybe describe to the audience, you know what what was happening there. People don't know what that incident right. was. So, um, there's a good friend of both of ours, uh, Aaron Breedlove, Twitter.com/slash Aaron R Breedlove, um, and she was on the show here uh, last week. Yeah, she was on the show last week. Um, somebody, uh, another Twitter user, uh, took her uh, picture from her Twitter profile and her name and um, other Twitter particulars and uh, created sort of a pseudo Twitter profile of her, and it was mocking her, so pretty much like it was making fun of her and her passion and everything, and it was a pretty disgusting event, um, and it kind of highlighted, as I mentioned, everything that was wrong with social media, and the fact of the matter is, um, so there's a concept of mob mentality, and... um, Twitter gives people a mob mentality, and in not the sense that, yes, you still have people ganging up on other students. It it sort of puts a mask in front of people. Like, I've noticed people say things online that they would never say in real life. It's happened to me before. I've had people say things or tell me things online that they would never tell me in real life. Um, a good friend of mine, he's a pretty big guy, works out a lot. He participates in bodybuilding competitions and stuff. Who's telling me a story of, on Facebook, a person that he sees every single day cusses him out and they insults his family. And he's like, that guy would never say that in my face because he knows I'd deck him. And that happens on Twitter and Facebook. And people say things and do things that they would never do in real life because they're behind that computer screen. Um, and I think that it's kind of disgusting. Um, the, ma- the fact of the matter is, while, yes, you are behind a computer screen, um, your Twitter profile is you for all intents and purposes. Your Facebook page is you for all intents and purposes. Your blog is you. Um, so I, somebody asked this question. So I was, uh, there's a conference called the 140 Conference, and my friend Kelly was over there, and somebody asked him a question. He was on a panel with other college students and young people. And somebody asked him the question is, are you cognizant of what you put online? Are you aware that the stuff you're putting online, your future employers are going to find and read and stuff? To which he responded um, something along the lines with, yes, I am very cognizant of what I put online, but a lot of my peer aren't, uh, peers aren't. And um, 
I think one of the things is, and then they asked him, do you actively censor yourself online? And he responded, no. And one of the points another panelist there made was, um, I don't want to censor what I put online. My Twitter profile is me. If somebody doesn't want to hire me after seeing my pro Twitter profile, I don't want to be working for them because I say stuff on my Twitter profile that I would say in real life. I mean, my Twitter profile is just an extension of myself. Same with my Facebook, same with my blog. This, that's who I am at a most basic level. And if you're, if you're not in line with that and if you can't work with someone with those policies, I don't really want to be working with you. Um, and I remember writing a blog post on my blog a while back, and at the bottom I mentioned I'm applying for a job right now, and if uh, my employer sees this and does, decides not to hire me, I don't want to work for them anyways. I ended up getting that job. I never asked my employer if they saw it or not, but the fact of the matter is that if, um, if you're not willing to um, censor yourself to some extent, but if you're not willing to use your common sense and decency online, you shouldn't be online. Hmm. Uh, um, yeah, those are, I mean, those are very good thoughts. And uh, um, I think, you know, more discussion should, uh, should continue on that because, you know, this is relatively, you know, a, a new medium and uh, there really aren't a lot of uh, rules of the road um, to govern things as of yet. So, you know, a lot of kind of common sense things should should prevail, but are not. Um, As uh, Gary Vaynerchuk always says, um, he says this a lot in his speeches, is uh, the Internet's 13 years old. It hasn't even had sex yet. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, our guest on the line here is uh, Mohammed Arfin. He is, he is a contributor to the uh, to the blog uh, premedhell.com and uh, on Twitter he's known as uh, Insane Mo. And uh, as we're starting to kind of uh, close things up here uh, for the show, let me uh, let me let me go back to another point that you were uh, that you were uh, expanding on a little bit as far as uh, so uh, what advice would you have for for people not not only uh, students but uh, but everyone else um, trying to balance uh, time between um, social media networking and in-person networking because it seems like with your scaling back of, of your social media presence you're going to be doing more in-person type of networking and um, what advice would you have to kind of balance the two um, I would say um, look at your industry um, begin with that um, for the most part the medical industry is a bit of um, they're old-fashioned. Um, most of the internet doesn't. Uh, most of the medical industry is not on the internet. I mean, you have a couple guys. You have Kevin MD, or you have yourself. You have uh, like Dr. V, and you have you, like you have those random one in a million doctors that are on the internet. But for the most part, doctors are offline, and the whole medical profession as a whole is pretty offline. I mean, AMSA just created a Twitter account fairly recently, and I would like to think. Um, AMSA is one of the more um, uh, forward-thinking organizations, and the fact that they just came onto Twitter and Facebook and this whole um, online Internet, um, it's kind of disturbing. So if you're a part of an industry that's heavily online already, um, I would say you would probably want to increase your online networking as opposed to your offline networking. 
but the fact of the matter that the track I'm on and the industry that I'm hoping to become a part of is a fairly offline industry. Um, it takes a lot more networking off the internet. Um, the fact of the matter is, for every doctor on the internet, there's probably five or ten that aren't on the internet. That um, it's much easier to network with with a handshake. So those are really um, I, I see the the whole the medical profession moving towards the internet in the future, but until then, the fact remains that um, you have to meet people and shake their hands. But advice to people so, that are looking. Uh, go ahead. Uh, so advice to people that are looking to balance um, both uh, would be um, just use your common sense. Um, use Twitter, use Facebook to the best of your ability. But if you actually meet someone um, in person, never give up that opportunity. Um, I use Twitter, I use Facebook, but if I meet a person like face-to-face, I've, I've told all my friends this is, if you put me in a room with an admissions committee member, I am not going to walk out of that room without their personal phone number and email address. So that's if you act if you're given that opportunity, take it. Um, but other than that, um, yeah, try to go to networking events. Every city has a networking event for every industry. So for your medical, there's probably networking events. Go to those. Have fun. Talk to people. Just be yourself, and uh, you'll be fine. Um, I think it's my my final question for you here this evening. Is I guess kind of looking forward. Um, you know, when you um, finish residency and, you know, um, out there practicing medicine, achieving your dream, um, where do you see um, things like electronic communication between patients and physicians down the line? Um, I know this is kind of a looking in your crystal ball type of thing, but... uh, um, what do you think will happen, or you know, what what changes you know um, do you see down the line? Would you like to see down the line as far as you know, even kind of electronic communications or even real time communications uh, with patients and physicians? So first change, someone needs to create a billing code for Twitter and Facebook so doctors can make money on Twitter and Facebook because. I don't think doctors make too much money, but they can qualify a lot of what they do on Twitter as Facebook as business-related activity. Um, now, that's just the inner, inner uh, tax evasionist inside me speaking. But um, I have electronic communication between patients and doctors is a tricky thing. I, I don't personally see a problem between communicating with my doctor via email. Um, I think email is a perfectly valid form of communication. Um, they're starting to uphold legal contracts created over email now. So I think an email is just as good as a phone call now. Um, they're about equal. Um, there's really no uh, major difference in that. Um, Twitter and Facebook, that's still a sketchy area. I don't know if I'd want my doctor to communicate with me over Twitter and Facebook. And the reasoning behind that is um, mainly because I would never use Twitter or Facebook for a 
um, business conversation. If I if I ever need to have one with someone, I always ask them for their email address, whether it be on Twitter or Facebook, and then I send them an email. So um, I think emails should definitely be become a legitimate part of medical communication going forward. And another big thing that uh, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Google Health, um, the new uh, thing is health.google.com that's being started by Google in which is um, exporting the patient record into the hands of the patient. Um, it syncs with a lot of major um, electronic health records uh, that exist already, and I'd like to see something like that where the patient has access to their uh, electronic medical records. I can't, so I'm lucky in that both my mom is a practicing physician at the hospital that I received all of my care at, um, my primary care stuff and everything. So in the event that I need my vaccine records and everything, my mom can access my health record from home and pr I can print it out and take my vaccine record to school or whatever. But not everyone's that lucky. Um, and uh, I think that patients should have access to their health, at least a digital version of their health record somehow all the time. Um, so I want to see that more going into the future is uh, an active, I want to see an active patient and I want to see an active physician. So patients should know what's what's wrong with them, um, not in the sense of I have cancer, okay, I have this type of cancer, this is what's wrong with me, this is why, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I think we need to see doctors explaining that. I don't, I don't think we need doctors who just say, oh yeah, you have breast cancer, you're going to die in six months. It's more they should, uh, I think it's more, the doctors will need to start educating more and patients need to start learning more. It's definitely a two-way street. Um, patient, doctors can sit there and talk at patients all day if patients don't accept. I wrote a post a very long time ago. I don't even know if it's still up. Uh, it's called The Death of Personal Responsibility. Um, and it was in response, it's one of the things, you can't have healthcare reform unless you have personal responsibility. You can give people three to hospital visits a year but if people aren't going to go to the doctor even once a year for their regular checkup, it's pointless giving them three um, if they're not even going to go at all. And uh, at the end of the day, that's that personal responsibility. Uh, the headline when the uh, people that are obese sued McDonald's in America was uh, obese people sue McDonald's um, for uh, such and such reasons. And the, the way they wrote that article was it was like a legitimate lawsuit. And I remember because that same week I was flying to Europe and England specifically to visit my uncles and we're in England and I see the paper and the headline, and this is the Daily Telegraph, this is not, not a, like a tabloid paper, it's an actual paper, it says fat people sue McDonald's and it literally just went through the whole thing like mocking the American concept of personal responsibility. So. Um, People need to start taking responsibility for their own health care. It doesn't matter what doctors do if people don't care what they do. Um, so I think it's both a two-way street. We need to find a way to make people responsible for their own care, their own health. Uh, you can't have preventative medicine unless people are responsible for themselves. That whole concept bases itself on the fact that people will naturally be responsible for their own health, which they're not. It's been proven time and time again. People will go eat McDonald's five times a day with ultimate disregard for what it will do to them. 
Um, yeah, and I know a lot of people who who uh, would agree with that, and uh, you know that is uh, you know part of you know part of this discussion that we're having as far as you know how, how can how can healthcare be uh, uh, better delivered um, in this country? So I know that is you know, part of that whole thing, and uh, um, you know I know you have a, 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 a huge interest um, in healthcare policy uh, type issues. Um, you know, I think that that speaks to your interest with uh, with AMSA as well, and uh, you know some of the advocacy things um, that they are doing. So, uh, and that is you know that that is a great uh, great point that you make there. Mm-hmm. To respond to someone in the, uh, in the chat room who was just saying that uh, I think patients are trying to find out too much. I'm saying that doctors should be educating patients. Patients shouldn't have to go on WebMD.com or google.com and search I have a rash on my arm and then the first like like on WebMD I've used their online like you know they have like that online diagnosis thing where you start clicking body parts and symptoms and it tells you what you have I have not found like a single combination of things you can click where it will not end up with cancer almost every combination you click eventually you will get to cancer so by that thing 99% of people have cancer um <laughs> I think uh, you need to have doctors that educate people more and tell um, people that, you know what, uh, you don't have cancer and you need to calm down on your WebMD usage. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, I, I think I'm going to start to... Diagnose oh, go ahead. I so said I think that's going to be a diagnosis in the future uh, with WebMD addictions. It's going to be like hypochondriacs, except it makes them so much more powerful now. Well, better. I think I'll be the first one being the uh, the, the uh, Internet uh, addiction. <laughs> <laughs> How much I'm on the Internet. Maybe I, should, maybe I should try to start my own type of treatment program or something like that. But uh, um, but our guests on the show here tonight have been, has been uh, Mohammed uh, Marfin, and uh, you can find him at mohammedarfin.com and uh, also pre-med hell. Uh, dot com and uh, I don't know, are you uh, are you part of any other uh, uh, internet or uh, social media projects that I forgot? Um, I am on Twitter and I am on Absa social media platform, which is the Inspiration Exchange. InspirationExchange.amsa.org. And okay. you can find me there by using "funny" in my name. But I'm on Facebook if you're really that creepy and want to add me. Um, yeah. Mohammed <laughs> <laughs> uh, in case you feel like adding me. Um, do you have any uh, closing thoughts for us uh, here uh, this evening before uh, before I uh, let you go here? Closing thoughts. Live well, my young Padawan learners. <laughs> Well. <laughs> so is this kind of your swan song? Are you like are you like done till February? Is this like your your final appearance here, uh, right on this show? Um, in video format, this is probably my swan song till February. Um, as far as tweets, you'll probably get a couple of tweets out of me. Um, people, will pro- I I I won't disappear completely. Um, it's not like I'm shunning the internet and going to live in an Amish community till February. Um, I'll tweet occasionally. So, yeah. 
I'm just scaling down. I'm not disappearing. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, I'm, I'm reading that post, and I'm like, I'm not really right, quite sure how to interpret that. So I don't know if you're a huge scaling back or, you know, just taking a break or just not, you know, not as uh, as uh, uh, visible as you have been in the past, like this summer. Yes, I'll be becoming less visible. That's, that would be the best way to put it. Not invisible, just less visible. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, thanks so much. Thanks so much for the time uh, tonight, and uh, I, I've, I've really enjoyed uh, your blog. I really enjoyed your uh, your uStream sessions. Um, it, it's really uh, interesting the people that you get in those sessions. They ask you great questions, um, and uh, um, I think it's great that you're engaging the audience uh, that way. Um, not only in the video format, but also in the blog type format, and also on Twitter. Um, so I know you'll be doing more in-person networking, but the uh, the social media networking that you've done uh, so far has been very impressive. And uh, uh, thank you so much uh, for the time for coming on the show. Uh, um, hopefully we'll, we'll get you back sometime and we'll talk more. Thanks for having me on. All right. Good night. Good night. Um, all right, kids. So that is our uh, that's our show here for tonight. I do want to thank uh, my guest again, uh, Mohammed Arfin. You can get there uh, by going to MohammedArfin.com. His uh, blog is the Premed Hell blog, PremedHell.com, and uh, follow him on Twitter uh, at Insane Mo. And uh, even though he's going to be not as visible as much uh, as before, I encourage you to check out his blog. Uh, both his personal blog and uh, his pre-med hell blog. It's a very good information uh, that you'll have uh, there. Um, and a good discussion here in the chat room here uh, tonight. So thank you, everybody, for uh, for joining us. Um, the uh, next show will be on uh, Saturday, and it's going to be a little bit of a different show. Usually the Saturday show is uh, a little bit more on the fun side, but uh, it's going to be serious um, if you go to Dr. Anonymous. Dot com, and you'll see some of the blog posts I've been having uh, this week with regards to my medical school and uh, the name change that uh, they, um, the board there has voted upon and approved. And uh, coming up on Saturday, August 14th, at a special time at 8 p.m. Eastern time, I'll be having a, a alumni on uh, the show. We'll be talking about uh, the main change, we've been talking, we'll be talking about the response to it and to the people that have contacted myself and my guests who will be coming up on Saturday with regards to that. So that'll be an interesting uh, show. Uh, so there'll be no um, after show here tonight. I haven't been feeling uh, good this week. My, uh, my allergies have been just killing me this week, so there'll be no after show here tonight. But I encourage you to check out uh, DrAnonymous.com, DrAnonymous.net, and uh, DrAnonymous.org, those are all uh, links about me and the show. Um, so I encourage you to come back uh, on uh, Saturday night, August 14, at a special time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And one week from tonight, that's right, <laughs> you've been waiting for him. Um, it is the uh, very popular uh, Dr. Jonathan will be coming on the show here one week here. Uh, from tonight, and uh, he was on the show um, about 10 days ago, or it's been that long, uh, but he'll be coming back. He is a fourth-year medical student, uh, continuing the theme um, of medical student, uh, not, of student month here on the Dr. Anonymous show, so uh, he's going to be in a good mood because he is uh, taking his boards the day before he is on this 
show, so he'll be in a, in a very good mood. So uh, check us uh, next time, um, August uh, 19, uh, 2010, at 9 p.m. Eastern time for Dr. Jonathan. And two weeks from tonight will be the huge, will be the enormous, will be the, uh, <laughs> I don't know, the three-year anniversary here uh, of this show. So uh, we're going to be having a good time, be celebrating, we'll be having fun, we'll be having people make fun of me uh here uh, on the show uh uh that night so uh, put that on your calendar kids two weeks from tonight 9 p.m eastern time the three-year anniversary uh for this show so i want to thank everybody for joining me here including the uh dr synonymous who has been trying to get into the chat room but as soon as he gets in here i'm closing up the show so <laughs> sorry about that there dr synonymous check out his show here this week blogtalkradio.com slash dr synonymous he had a great show this week uh, interviewing the new president of the Ohio Academy of Family Physicians. So that's all I have for you here this evening. So thank you, everybody, for uh, joining me. And uh, I will see everybody uh, Saturday night at a special time, 8 p.m. Eastern time, right here on blogtalkradio.com. Let me uh, play a, a song here, and uh, then I will uh, get out of here. Let me find this here. Stalling, stalling, stalling. <laughs> Wait for it. Uh, and uh, I'll play this, and uh, we'll get out of here. So uh, good night, everybody.
them up and go. Oh, oh. Ching-ching. You come in a step up. I'm the lyrical gangster. Big up the crew in the area. Danger! 